Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be from James 5, uh, verses 13 through 18. Please turn with me in your copy of the scripture. If you're using the church Bible in front of you, that is page 1013. And please feel free to take this with you after you leave if you don't have a copy of God's word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed feverishly, feverently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Thank you, David. Let me encourage you, as he did, to have a copy of God's Word open there to that text. And that is page 1013, and the Bible's provided for you there. As I mentioned in the announcements, we're going to be doing a short survey at the beginning here of 2023 about prayer. Uh, This is going to be an emphasis on what we, how we feel like we should grow as a church of being a praying church, someone who, uh, a church where uh, we we embrace prayer, we believe in prayer, and um, it is, uh, you know, it's kind of... um, a fitting, you know, we just had something culturally happen. I mentioned this in the church email. And by the way, if you don't get the weekly church email that I send out and you'd like to, uh, let me know. Send me an email or something. I'll make sure you're added to that list. I send a weekly note out preparing for the service and things like that. If you don't get it and you want to, I can add you to that, no problem. But I mentioned this in that email this week of how uh, in our culture we had a, a, a situation recently where an NFL player uh, went into cardiac arrest uh, suddenly, obviously, uh, on the field there, and um, it really sparked a, an outpouring of prayer, like on the field, and then uh, uh, ESPN analyst uh, prayed on air, and, and um, you know, just, just there's a lot I've been talking about prayer, and this analyst said, well, we believe in prayer, and, and so we're going to pray uh, for this NFL player here. And so, uh, kind of interesting in a culture where uh, you know, just not too long ago in our, in our country's history, that would not have been uncommon. Uh, if you study history, particularly World War II history, uh, there were times of national prayer where a president would call for times of national prayer, uh, particularly during the war effort there. Uh, there's, a, there's a famous meeting on the ship where, where you know, world leaders, they met for prayer. But in today's culture, that is, is gone by the wayside, unfortunately. Um, the idea of praying in, in the public arena is considered uh, uncouth, is considered out of bounds uh, to be praying in a, in, a, in a school setting, in a public school setting or something like that. And so seeing that happen last week is, is, is really interesting. It's like, yes, that's good. We should be people in prayer. But, you know, in the church, we should be people who are men and women that are committed to prayer. 
And so for the next few weeks, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at this idea of prayer and raise several questions. Now, this text that was read to you uh, is interesting in some ways. Uh, the main point of the text is clear, uh, but there are some nuances within the text that are not clear. And we're going to spend some time at the end of the service, uh, a good amount of time actually, walking through that in uh, an interpretation that I have for that. But the main point of this text, as I said, is abundantly clear, and that is pray. That's the main point of this text, is that we should be people who are praying. And so, um, as we look at that, and we look at then the the parts of the text about the oil and about this uh, categorical uh, healing, this promise of healing that seems to be there, or some of these other things, that that causes us sometimes to miss the main point. I just want to make sure that we don't miss that main point, Okay. And then in this introduction, what I want to do is I want to give you three quick principles about biblical, biblical interpretation that will help us as uh, when we come to a situation like this, because there's, scholarship is divided on this text here, on the nuances of the text. Everyone's agreed that the main point is prayer, but then these other things that we're going to talk about, uh, there's, there's good people to disagree on this. And so what do we do when we come to these types of passages? And at the end, when I give you my interpretation of it, you may have some disagreements with me on some of the nuances of the text, and that's fine. Um, but let's, let's walk through in this introduction very quickly before I pray three quick, quick principles that will help us in uh, biblical interpretation in these types of things. First of all, we have to accept that some parts of Scripture are obscure. Uh, some parts of Scripture are more obscure than others. We just have to accept that, okay? And we can't be threatened by that. Some places of Scripture are very easy to understand. It's very common, very uh, straightforward. There's really no room for debate on it. But there's a lot of places of Scripture that is it's less clear, and, uh, and, and we, have to, we have to really think about that a little bit, and we have to do some more study on those things. Uh, but I told you we shouldn't be, be threatened by that. We perceive as caution. We reduce dogmatism in those areas, right? But some elements that James brings up here, again, the elders anointing with oil would be one of those. They're not found in any other place in the Scriptures in the New Testament. And so there's really no comparing for the sake of clarity. So we just have to understand that some parts are more obscure than others. In fact, this text, this is from Peter. He wrote this. He said, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish or at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. That's a whole message in itself right there, that the patience of the Lord is our salvation. But he goes on, this is the point I want to bring out. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them in all these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. So Peter is writing about Paul's writings and says, you know what, some of the things that Paul writes about are hard to understand, okay? So all that to say is that there's some uh, parts of Scripture that are more obscure than others and we're not threatened by that, okay? We just, we just accept it as it is. That's the first principle. The second principle is never build your theology around one person, unless that person is Jesus, of course, right? Okay, but never build your theology around just one Bible teacher, and by the way, that includes me, okay? You need to be someone who's opening the Word of God and studying the Word of God. This is why we say open your Bibles to, and we tell you where to open to, up to, because we want you looking. Now, I would love it if you did disagree. That's okay. There's areas where we can disagree on. That's fine. 
But I would just ask you to, to put some of the work into studying it for yourself before just saying, well, I don't think that's right, and then just ignoring it, saying, okay, well, Jeremy or Wayne or Rob or whoever's been preaching up here, they, they've put the time into studying, they've come to a different conclusion. Let me, let me do some more digging this. Maybe ask them, what are the sources that you use to study this? And I can read it for myself as well. We invite that. But never build your theology just around one person. Uh, this is the reason why I consult multiple people in every sermon that I uh, prepare for. And then the last principle is, uh, by way of introduction here, is just don't lose the force for the trees. Again, I go back to this, of that we got to keep the main point. So at the end of this, when I give you my interpretation of the anointing with oil and the sick and all that stuff, when I, when I explain to you what I believe this passage to be te- teaching, those elements of that, if you disagree, fine. But please don't miss the forest for the trees. That the main point of this is that we should be people of prayer. In fact, that's really kind of the, the thesis of this sermon. So if, 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 if you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this. Prayer is the first instinct of a healthy church. Prayer is the first instinct of a healthy church. What do I mean by that? What does the word instinct mean? It means that you don't have to have a plan. You don't have to have, uh, um, you know, there's no councils, there's no committees that need to be formed, you know, when something happens, like, well, what should we do about this? Well, let's get a council together, let's get a committee together, and we'll elect a president to the committee, then we'll figure out, no, 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 no. A healthy church, our first instinct when we hear things and in the way we live our lives is prayer. Unfortunately, that's not always true, is it? I know in my own life, there's been too many times where I've just been all, all of a sudden just, you know, convicted. It's like, wait a minute, Jeremy, you're working so hard on this, and you haven't even prayed about it yet. You, you, you've started to work on all the details, and you started this, and it's like, wait a minute here. No, 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 you've, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. It could be about job. It could be about relationships. It could be about whatever it is, and we're going to see that in the text. We have to be a church that prays. Our first instinct should be to pray. And that's what I hope to accomplish as a result of the sermon here. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to pray and ask for God's blessing. And uh, then, then we'll proceed with our text. Father, uh, we do want our instinct, our very first instinct, to be prayer for our church. We need your spirit to guide us in that. We need your spirit to prompt us in that. We need to be open and available to that, God. I, so I pray that over the next few minutes here as we've, we look at this text, God, I ask that, um, that we would be sensitive to your Spirit's leading. God, I, I, I pray that I would communicate in a way that's helpful, that's accurate to the text, that magnifies your name. And God, we just pray that as, as a result of being together here, that this, we will say this is good to be together and that we would be challenged in this area of prayer. Every one of us has opportunity to grow in this. I mean, no one's perfect in this. Some are doing a better job than others in this room. And God, I pray that all of us at the end of this would, 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 would be motivated and convicted by your Spirit to be men and women of prayer. And by extension, that this would be a healthy church committed to prayer. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So let's look at the text here. So, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
That's how it starts in verse 13. James has been writing this letter. He's been writing to a group of people who have been scattered. They've been going through difficulties and trials and circumstances that have been very challenging for them. And he's writing this uh, letter to these people of the diaspora, the people who are scattered abroad uh, as a result of persecution. We read about persecution in the book of Acts. Uh, We see in chapter uh, uh, 8 there of uh, 7 and 8 of how the persecution is is going out there in 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 the Christians are scattered abroad for this. These are the people that James are writing to. He's writing this letter so that they would be encouraged. And he's he's talking about how to deal with these things. And so the very first thing he talks about here or in this section here, he says, if we're suffering, we should pray. And so suffering should push us to prayer. Every one of us goes through difficulty. Every one of us goes through challenges. Every one of us goes through uh, trying times. And suffering, whatever it is, it should be a motivator to pray. In fact, honestly, this is one of the easier ones because often when things aren't going the way we want to go, we are more motivated to pray than when things are going well. But sometimes even in the midst of suffering, we forget to pray or we pray in a wrong way. We pray selfishly. But here's what James is saying. He is saying that that we, if you're suffering let him pray. That's the first thing he tells him to do is to pray. The word suffering here is a general term that James uses. It's a general term for distress and for hardship. And, and he writes this in the present tense, okay? And so, he, 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 you know, there's different tenses in, in language and uh, how to, to write your words. And so, in this sense, the way he writes is in the present tense. And so, he has in mind very specific people who are going through suffering at that moment. Uh, earlier in the chapter, earlier in the book, he talks about trials of various kinds. He talks about how that there's uh, those people going through a whole bunch of different trials. Uh, right in the preceding, in the first part of, of chapter uh, 5 here, he talks about the rich, the oppression of the rich. He also talks about it in chapter 2. Uh, and so these are some of the things he may have had in mind when he's, he's encouraging these believers who are scattered abroad. He said, you're going through a difficulty. You're going through a challenging time. He says, you should be people who are just committed to prayer. And so I don't know what you're going through in life. I don't know what, what you're, 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 you're walking through, but I can tell you this, is that uh, your response should be prayer. And so when you know if someone's going through a difficult time, we should be wanting to pray for each other. And in fact, one of the songs that we just sang, it was the second song we sang today, um, All My Ways Are Known to You. One of the things that we sang just a minute ago was, Open up my eyes so I may see that all my ways are known to you. You see, when we believe that, when we believe that God truly does know everything and that He is in control and He's sovereign and He's good. Remember, I've told you this over and over again, two things about God. You just have to have locked down and you can get through anything in life and that He's good and that He's sovereign. If you believe those two things, then you can go to God in prayer in those moments of suffering. And it's not wrong to ask God to remove that, by the way. Jesus asked God if there's another way than the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if there's another way, let it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So it's not wrong to ask God to remove a suffering thing, but it is, it is, it is our goal to, to say, God, whatever your way is, you know my ways. Just, just as we said, open up my eyes so I may see that all my ways are known to you. And so God knows everything that's going on in your life. And so when you go to him and you talk to him about some of those things, and, and this is why this book that we're giving out, Praying the Bible, is so helpful because what he talks about is he talks about how that we can use the scriptures to form our prayers. And it's not because that there's like, uh, we got to come up 
with certain words and incantations and things like that, and then God will suddenly listen. That's not the point of it. But the point of it is it's to guide our thinking. Because as he's going to say in his book, if you read the book, he's going to say that uh, we typically tend to say the same things about the same things in our prayers. We say the same words about the same things over and over in our prayers. And he's pushing us in the book, Don Whitney is, Dr. Whitney, is he's saying you should have a better type of conversation with God than just repeating the same things always about the same things. And so he says, use the scriptures, particularly the book of Psalms. And so anyone, believe me, this is not just for members. Anyone here, any family unit, please take a copy of this book, okay, after the service. And it just is helpful for us because when you get to a passage, like if you're going through suffering and then you see how David prayed, you see in the Psalms of how some of these people were, were, were crying out to God during their moments of distress. That helps you in your prayers. But here's the point is we should pray. We should absolutely pray. And what we don't do is we don't complain. Verse 9 of this chapter, uh, James says, do not grumble against one another. So we don't complain. That's not what we do in our suffering. And although that is one of the first things that we're drawn to. If we're having a bad day, you know, we, we like to talk about it sometimes. We like to, we like to kind of complain about it to other people. Like, oh, man. And then it's always like a one-upmanship, right? You know, people say, well, yeah, well, that was bad. Well, I had this. And, 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 and we tend to just want to just kind of complain. Or maybe we'll use the word vent, uh, whatever. I'm not saying it's always 100% bad. What I'm saying is that should not be our first instinct. Our first instinct shouldn't be like, I got to go complain about it. I got to get this off my chest. I got to go talk to someone about this. Yeah, you do. You need to talk to God about it. This is what James is abundantly clear here. If anyone is among you suffering, let him pray. And another thing that is to avoid, verse 12 of the same chapter, James says, do not swear. This is not talking about cussing. Uh, this is talking about making promises. He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall into under condemnation. What is he talking about? Is he saying it's wrong to make a promise? No. But what he's saying here is it's wrong to try to make deals with God. Okay, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. All right, God, okay, God, you, you, you give me this job promotion. You give me this job. This, I'm telling you, God, I am going to, you, you know, I'm not going to give you a tenth. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you 15%. Or, God, I will be in church every Sunday. Or, God, you know, if you do this, you know, this is, we don't do that with God. When there's a suffering situation, or get me out of this, or, Lord, if you heal me of this, or if you give me this, then I will do that. Those aren't the deals. Now, of course, if we're praying for something, we should, God, I, I want to use this for your glory. This is why I'm asking. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about trying to leverage. And you say, well, who would do that? Oh, come on. People do it all the time. I mean, most of us at one point or another has probably done something similar to that. Or, God, if you do this, then I will do that. That's not what we do. We pray. We say, God, here's my heart. This is what I desire. And Lord, help me. May, if I'm in the midst of the suffering, God. If it's your will to remove it, please remove it from me. Please take this from me. If not, then help me to live through it according to your power. You know, um, 
Instead, as I said, what we're doing is we're praying. And the reason why is because prayer shows our dependence on God. It shows our humility. And that's what he talks about in chapter 4, in verse 10 of this text, about how that we need to be humble. We humble ourselves before the Lord, it says, and He will exalt you. And what's a, a beautiful way to do that is, is really through prayer. I won't take time to go back to the book of First Timothy or First Peter, but in First Peter chapter five, there's a there's a fairly familiar passage you may recognize. It says, "Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you." Now, the word in that that that, that the main the main verb actually of that is actually what comes before that verse in verse six. It says, "Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord," and then verse seven says, "Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you." So the main verb actually is humble, and so the, the, the casting there is actually a participle which tells you how to show your humility. And how do we cast our care upon God? Well, through prayer, right? And so, so it always comes back to this. All through the New Testament, we see this, this consistent point that we are to be people of prayer. Paul says this in Philippians. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And so in 2023, I can promise you this. There are going to be things that are going to happen to you that you are not going to like. Okay? All right? In all of my years of wisdom, I can tell you that this is true. Okay? All right? Some of you go, like, you're pretty young to be claiming to have years of wisdom. That's the point. It doesn't take long to figure out that you're going to have difficulty in 2023. Pastorally. Let me plead with you. Pray. So if you're a student here and, 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 your, and your class is just not going well, your teacher doesn't seem to understand, you can't connect well, whatever, or there's pressure in school. Some of you students, you're going through things in school. There's just a lot of pressure. I get it. And, 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 and let me just encourage you, when things aren't going well, you pray. Okay? You know, some of you in your careers, you know, you may have a downturn in your career this year that we haven't seen or you're not, you, you, that's not foreseen. In that moment, may your first reaction be to pray and not be, okay, I got to you know, get online and start searching for a new job. I got to get my resume all, all beefed up and all this stuff. Maybe you do need to do those things, but not first. First, you need to pray. That is the instinct of a healthy church. And you get the diagnosis. You pray, you ask people to pray with you. So, suffering is something that is, uh, according to this text, it should push us to prayer. But then, he continues on. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Okay? So then, he goes the opposite direction. He says, blessing should provoke prayer as well. So, the circumstances now, the opposite, instead of life bringing pain and suffering, now, James, he raises the question of how to respond when life brings blessing or encouragement. And again, the response is the exact same. We are to, it says, sing praise here. And that is an, a, a form of prayers. When we're singing praise, we're singing praise to God. We're singing for, on the benefit of others around us for sure, but we're also singing it in, in, in direction where we should be singing it to God, singing praise to God. And so it's a form of prayer. And uh, um, uh, this is something that is, is absolutely commanded of us. Singing praise is a way to show our dependence on God. I mean, some of the things that we've just sang about here, it just shows how that we are utterly and completely dependent on God for all things. My, my hope is, and, and 
I guess my pastoral concern, when I, when I sit down or stand down there and I'm singing um, with you all uh, every Sunday, often I will pray this, did it today, I will often pray uh, silently to myself or silently in my heart to the Lord and just say, God, may we mean what we're saying right now. Because it's really easy just to read the words that are on the screen. And it kind of minds being, you know, everywhere else, you know, thinking about a whole bunch of things. And, and, and I get it, that's part of just the weakness of our human flesh. I get it, I get it. Minds wander, I understand. But I pray, and my desire is that when we're singing, that our minds are engaged. And that when we start to notice that we're not really engaging where we bring it back. Because understand this, that what we're doing when we're singing is praising God through a means of prayer. All right? So the question I have, and the application I'm going to make of this point, is do you sing when we have these songs? Do you sing when we, you know, any other time in your life? Um, It's clear in fact, the book of Ephesians, if you're taking notes, just write down Ephesians 6. Because Ephes- I'm not going to take time to turn there, but Ephesians 6 talks about this idea of, um, it's 5 and 6, it, it talks about this, this um, uh, outworking of the Spirit, okay, of how do we know that the Spirit is at work in our lives. And there, in there, the Apostle Paul, he talks about that we sing, and he talks about singing in two different ways. He talks about singing alone, and he also talks about singing with other people. And so an evidence of the Spirit of God at work in life is that we sing. You know, a pastoral concern that I would have is if I were to look out during the song, and normally I can't because I'm facing the other direction here, but if I were up here, it's the vantage point that I have now, and we're singing, and if I'm not seeing people sing, that would give me a pastoral concern. I have no idea because I don't have that viewpoint. I'm just saying that if I were, that would give me a pastoral concern. Because as Christians, we should be people who sing. Now, there's some of you who say, well, I, I just don't like to sing. I, I, I you know, it's, it's just it's not what I like to do. Okay. Okay. There's a lot of things that we don't like to do, but it's the right thing to do, right? Okay. So, don't like to sing. Or, I can't sing well. So, I'm a little embarrassed by that. Well, guess what? Singing well is not a requirement. Okay? It's not. I, I, I learned to embrace that a long time ago. When I was a kid, growing up in church, my grandfather would often sit with us, my family, and uh, I've, I've shared this before, I know, and he would sing loud and off-key. And I had, I mean, I was literally next to him. Now, I don't have a good singing voice, he really didn't have a good singing voice, <laughs> okay? And as a kid, I remember thinking, like, you know, does he not know this, you know? I mean, <laughs> who's going to tell him? I'm not going to tell him. Who's going to tell him here <laughs> type thing? And then one day, he, like, told me, I know I don't have a good singing voice. I'm like, you know? <laughs> you, know you know this and you still do it? And, and he says, it's because, but I'm praising Jesus, and this is all I have. This is what God's given me, and I'm praising Jesus with it. That changed me. It changed me. Because I was like, okay, you know, God's given us 
what he's given us, and we just sing praise to the Lord. That doesn't mean you're going to be up front leading, okay, all right? But you're going to be part of the congregation singing beautiful to God. So if that's your concern, you say, well, I just don't sing well. Who cares? Or maybe you think, well, I don't sing well, and I don't, I, I'm kind of embarrassed about people around me and what they're going to think. Well, first of all, first of all, you're not really thinking too highly of other people, right? You're assuming that they're actually listening to your voice and going, can you believe it? You know, most people aren't doing that, okay? Now, a twerpy little boy named Jeremy Scott was to his grandpa, but that was, that was a twerpy little boy, okay? So the point is, is that most people are not thinking that at all. And if, if we assume that, we're actually assuming the worst of them in many ways. Think about it this way. How would you feel? If you see someone that's near you and they're singing when it's obvious that they're just so thankful to the Lord for what He's done, and they're singing, their voice is a little, mm, but they're singing, what are you going to think? Are you going to think, oh man, I just wish they toned it down a little bit? No, you're not going to think that. So people are going to think of you. So here's the thing you need to think about. If you're someone who reserves and doesn't sing during the singing time, Here's the point. At best, it's selfish. At worst, it's defiant rebellion. Either way, it's not very good, okay? So, all that to say is that when we sing, sing out to the Lord, because this is what we're told to do. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so, if, if God has, has blessed you and you're moved by this and you see this, you need to be singing out to the Lord. Because, and not just here. You know, at home, in the car, wherever where you're meditating on God's goodness to you, that is the response of a healthy Christian, is that we are singing praise to God because we have so much to be thankful for. And think about this. You have the promise that your sins are forgiven. You have the promise that the Holy Spirit, God, indwells inside you if you're a Christian. God inside you. That's what you have if you're a Christian. That's pretty good, okay? You have the promise that God knows what you need even before you ask of it, that God knows what is best for you. The Bible teaches that God loves you and that God has given everything. The Bible teaches that God loved you so much that Jesus came and lived this life on this earth and he died, he dealt with all the difficulty of this life and he died to death, that he didn't have to die and he rose again so that you could have forgiveness of sins. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what we have as a reality. We have the reality that Christ is the hope of glory, that he is alive today, that even though death, he experienced death, he was resurrected. We have the hope that while hell and, and, and the enemy and, and Satan did everything he could to kill him and stop him, he triumphed over that. We have the hope that he is coming back one day to set all things right and set all things new. This is our hope. Should we sing? Yes, we should sing. God is so good. And so when we consider the blessings of what's going on in our lives, we should just like, I want to sing. I want to sing. And again, I, 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 music is not a huge part of my life. Uh, my, my brother, he's always loved music and always listened to music. Me, this has not been a huge part of my life for one of the reasons. I'm not wired that way. But as I grow in Christ, I want to sing. And I'm not there yet. I'm not totally there. I've got so much more growth to do. But I'm telling you, the more I grow, the more I want to sing. James says this. He says, anyone cheerful, let him sing. All right. 
So now we get to the, that's the easy part of the sermon, okay? Now we get to the nuances here. Is anyone among you sick? Verse 14, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Then he gives the Elijah illustration there. So here's our third and final point. One reason the church exists is to pray for its members. This is one reason the church is totally in existence is so that we can pray for each other. We need to be praying for each other. Now, here's the thing is in order to pray for each other, we got to talk to each other. We, we got we to gotta let each other know what's going on in our lives, and we got to open up. And I tell, you, I tell you this all the time. I've been telling you this for 10 years now. I preach sermons I need to hear because this is not always easy for me. Opening up and sharing some of my own stuff, that's not, a, I get it. So if you're sitting there going, yeah, transparency, yeah, move on, Jeremy. That's, that's not me. I get it. But I'm teaching this today because I know it to be true, not because I'm perfectly living it. And I'm trying to grow in this. And how do you know what to share and the balance of that? And you don't want to be complaining. I get all the tension of it. But I will say, and I can't solve it all here. But what I can tell you is that we have to be willing to share with one another and invite at least some people into our lives so we can be praying for each other. That's what this text is about. Okay, I'm going to get into nuances and explain, you know, some of the things of this. But I'll just tell you this again. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Here we have the point of if bad things are happening to you, pray. If good things are happening to you, sing songs in prayer. If you're sick or other things are happening in your life, call for other people to pray with you. Okay? So one of the reasons the church exists is to pray for its members. So there's a lot of questions that come up on this text I just read. I mean, what does James mean by, by a sick person? Is this a cold? I'm on the tail end of a cold here. As Wayne is going to be breaking up the bread for us here, and I'm keeping my distance from people. And so, yeah, I haven't shaken anyone's hand yet today. I'm going to keep it that way. And, you know, uh, it's, as I told people already, it's not you, it's me, okay? Um, you know, is that what he's talking about here? Is it a cold? Is it an incurable disease? Is it something else? What's the deal with the oil? I mean, why is he talking about that? Someone asked me recently, have you ever anointed someone with oil? In response to this text, yes. In one of our ministries, a um, uh, previous ministry to here, um, uh, a lady was sick, uh, and uh, she asked us elders to come and anoint her with oil and pray over her, which we did. Okay, So what is the deal about that? It doesn't appear in the New Testament at all else about this in this type of anointing with oil in terms of in this context or a similar context. Um, is there a categorical promise of healing associated with this? Uh, does James seem to connect sin with sickness? There's a category, there's a group of people that teach this, prosperity theology that teaches that if you're sick, it's because you sin. Is, and this is a text here. Is that what it's teaching here? Are we to confess sin to each other? Is that something we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to, you know, uh, after service, you know, get in little groups and confess our sin to each other? Is that what this text is teaching? And, and what's the significance of the Elijah illustration? There's a lot of questions that come up in this text here. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of walk us through this in the last few minutes that we have together today. So there's really two main interpretations of the text. Number one, the first interpretation is that sickness, when it talks about sick, and that's the real question in verse 14 is what does this mean? It says, any among you sick. 
The first is that it's a physical ailment that has left the person incapacitated, and therefore the elders of the church are to be called uh, who will then anoint that person with oil while praying over the infirmed. And so what that means is the prayer of the faith is a specific gift of faith given by God to the, uh, to the person praying at times when God wants to perform a miraculous healing, okay? And so that's the one interpretation, that this is a physical infirmity that someone is going through, and then they are to call the elders of the church together in a very specific uh, act of faith, and then God will heal, okay? That's one. Another interpretation is that the sickness is not physical at all. Actually, it's more of a spiritual depression or discouragement. And so when this happens, the spiritually discouraged person should call for the elders of the church to come for refreshment and prayer, oil being for refreshment. The prayer of the faith is the renewing of this conviction and will bring spiritual strength to the person discouraged. And so this person who is spiritually weak, spiritually discouraged, they will then uh, call for the leaders of the church who will then pray over that person and bring encouragement, bring refreshment to that, that person. Okay, those are the two main um, interpretations. I think, and again, there's room for disagreement. In fact, good people disagree on this. My personal interpretation is, I'm trying to make it very clear, it's a personal interpretation, is the second one. It makes most sense in the context of it. That what James is talking about here is not primarily physical sickness, but more of a spiritual uh, depression, spiritual uh, uh, di- uh, discouragement that might be happening. Let me give you six reasons for that quickly, okay? That you say, well, wait a minute here. Why do you uh, believe that? Here's where I believe there are six reasons why I believe sick to primarily mean spiritual weakness, okay? All right. Number one is the word used for sick there. In verse 14, the word means weak, without strength. That word is used 34 times in the New Testament. 20 times is used for physical illness. Now, uh, primarily that is used in the Gospels and Acts, okay? The other 14 times it's used for spiritual weak, and that is primarily found in all the epistles, which James is an epistle. So it seems like in the epistle writings, the epistle authors, they typically use this word to mean spiritual sickness, whereas the Gospel writers would use it more for physical sickness. Okay, so for example, Romans uh, chapter 14, we see this as for the one who is weak, it's the same word, here that's found in our James text. The one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes uh, he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. This is not talking about a physical weak person. This is talking about spiritually weak is uh, obvious in the context. Also, Paul uses this in 1 Corinthians 8. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. Talking about uh, hurting someone in in a spiritual sense. Uh, The brother whom Christ died, for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Okay, so here we have in Romans, we have in 1 Corinthians, the same word being used in more of a spiritual context here. Now, also, when you look at verse 15 of James chapter 5, you would see that we see the word sick appear again. But this is where English is a little bit difficult because it's the same word in English, but actually in the original Greek, it's two different words. This word means weary, worn out, fatigued. It's only used two times in all of the New Testament, here and then in the book of Hebrews. And so to understand what that means, let's look at the Hebrew text. Here's what the Hebrew text is. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. 
And so this idea of sickness, it seems to be more of a, a, a constitution rather than a physical malady. It seems to be more of something that is dealing internally here. Um, it seems that James is talking about a spiritual weakness, and it seems to fit the context of the book overall. Again, good people disagree. I'm just giving my rationale. Number two, as I move through this quickly, the involvement of the church, okay? Why do they then call for the elders of the church here? Um, if James is indeed talking about spiritual discouraged depression here, de- depressed believers here, then calling for the church elders makes sense then. If it's calling for, uh, if it was a physical thing, he would encourage doctors or something like that. And, and you know, they're not against doctors. In fact, Paul encourages Timothy to, to uh, uh, take some wine for stomach's sake. And so it, it seems that because that there's an encouragement to involve the church in this, it'd be more spiritual in nature than physical in nature. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 talks about that those who are spiritual should restore people in the spirit of gentleness. And that's talking about their sin condition as well. And so what I believe this is teaching is that our discipleship and our sanctification really is the concern of the church. And so it makes sense for the spiritually depressed person to call for the leaders of the church to help them. So when someone's going through some spiritually difficult times, and again, I don't know that this, but I should have said this at the beginning, I don't know this has to be categorically either or, because mind, body, and soul are related. This could be a physical thing, an actual physical sickness or suffering or a disease or something that then has the effect spiritually on the person. So I'm not saying that it's categorically not a physical thing. I believe what James is primarily teaching is that when it gets to the point where it affects us spiritually, we're to call for the church. We're to call for the elders of the church to pray over us. Because that is the concern of the church is our spiritual uh, well-being. Jonathan Lehman, he said this. He wrote, he's written a lot on the church. Uh, joining a church makes you responsible for one local congregation and they for you. You now own or have a share in their discipleship to Christ. That is, you are now responsible for their growth and professions of faith insofar as you're responsible for the church's faithful gospel preaching and that individual's discipline. And so this is one of the reasons why we're doing the church covenant review is that as a church, we are responsible for one another. This is the reason why we encourage people to join the church is because it formalizes this, okay, I'm responsible for you, you're responsible for me, that we want to push each other to follow Jesus Christ here. And so it seems to be that it's more of a spiritual nature, what, what James has in mind here, when he's calling for the elders of the church here. Now, why does he have to tell them to do this? Because it's against our pride to do so. I'm telling you, there's people right now, believers that I know, who are just avoiding the church, who are avoiding people reaching out to them because they're going through spiritually difficult times. And they just are not willing to ask for help. There's texts to go unanswered. There's, there's phone calls that go unreturned. There's all sorts of things that, 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 that people are reaching out to other believers, and I know that they're going through a difficult time, and they don't want anything to do with it because it's against their pride, or it's because they don't feel like they have the energy to fight for their spiritual well-being anymore. It's easier just to give up. My friend, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. This is why James says to the church, listen, you're going through a difficult time. You're going through suffering. You're going through persecution. 
You've got to call for the church. Don't just give up. Don't just go away and just stop going and slowly disassociate yourself with the church. No, you call for the church leadership to come and fervently pray over you. Anoint with oil for refreshment. And it just pray over you so that you will come back. That's what you need to do. And so if you're in this position right now, maybe someone's listening online or maybe you're here and you're in that place where you're just slowly kind of inching away, let me just encourage you, please don't do that. Please don't do that. This is an area where we as the church, not just Memorial Baptist, but the church we just have to grow in. I, you know, I've been here, next month will be 10 years that I've been here. I can't, I can only think of a couple times where someone, a member of the church, called me or the elders up and said, I'm struggling spiritually. Would you please pray me, for me on this? A lot of physical things, and we're happy to do that. But very few times have people said, I'm struggling spiritually here, and I need your help. I need you to pray. Over. I want you to pray that I do not turn away. I, I don't have the energy to go on. I am weak. I just don't I found give up. I am just so tired, and I just need you to pray that I don't give up. That doesn't happen hardly at all, and it's not because people aren't in those situations. So please, that's why we're here. That's why we have elders in the church. This is why I believe it's to be talking more about a spiritual nature than a physical nature. Is that the elders are here for you. So please call for the elders to pray. Okay, I need to move on. The other reason is because I, I believe it to be more of a, a spiritual weakness is because there's this anointing while praying that's going on. The emphasis is on the praying, not the anointing, the way the word order is. But this is a general word for anointing. It's not a word for rituals or ceremonial anointing. The idea is has more of a refreshment. It's the idea of in this culture, in this context, it, oil was used to refresh the person, kind of like washing of your face or things like this. It it would be, it would be a, a, a way to kind of just, just, just refresh, if you will, a little bit here. And that's what I think he's saying there is, a, is that people who are so spiritually discouraged and they just need some refreshment here. And so the emphasis, as I said, is on praying. Um, and, uh, uh, um, and the oil is more for refreshment. Like Matthew chapter 6 says, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who in secret will reward you. So this idea of, of anointing, the idea is not so much the emphasis that you have this oil anointed, it's more so on the prayer that is happening there. So it's not medicinal in nature. Some people would say, I don't believe it to be primarily medicinal in nature. It's more in the emphasis of prayer and the refreshment that comes from it. I need to move on. Number four, the apparent categorical promise of healing leads me to believe this to be more spiritual than physical in nature. He says, the prayer of the faith, right, it says, um, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Um, the argument for physical sickness here is supported by the fact that James uses the word healed in verse 16. However, this seemingly categorical promise of healing makes more sense if sickness is spiritual rather than physical. Uh, healing can be spiritual as well as physical. I don't have time to turn there, but First Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 talks about that. The book of Hebrews talks about this. I think this squares with the whole scope of the book of James, uh, particularly... Uh, in chapter 
4, verse 10, where it says, humble yourselves in the Lord, uh, before the Lord, and He will exalt you. It's the same idea, the Lord will raise you up in verse 15 of chapter 5. It's more of a spiritual nature as I see it. Um, I also think this squares well with the book of 2 Corinthians. I won't take time to turn there, but if you want to write down 2 Corinthians 2.14, you can. And then also with verses 19 and 20. We didn't read this, but look at verse 19 of chapter 5 of James. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what's happening here is it ends, the book ends with a spiritual request so that you save someone spiritually. So it seems to me that this categorical promise or seemingly categorical promise of saving someone, of healing someone is spiritual, that when the elders come and they pray over them and the person is desiring them to do it, because remember, it's the person that's called the elders, so they have this desire. They're just weak. He says, if you call out in your weak state and you have people pray over you, God is going to hear that prayer and God will exalt you and lift you up and give you the refreshment that you need. It may take longer than you think. It may not be as easy as you think, but it will happen. And that's why he ends the book the way he does in verse 19 and 20. So that's where I see that this, this promise of healing works well with the end of the book. Number five, there's this mention of potential sin. It says if he's committed sins in verse 15, he will be forgiven. Um, while physical ailment can be connected to sin, it seems more consistent of James to be speaking of spiritual weakness, this lack of faith that should be confessed for the purpose of encouragement here. This confession shows a dissatisfaction in the, of the person's uh, spiritual state, and they want to grow, and they desire for spiritual growth. And so my question is, do you have that? Do you want to grow in Christ? Let me just encourage you that, you know, every other week, the other team meets, okay? So, so we meet every other Wednesday, and, and we have an agenda, and a standing item on our agenda is people. And we, we pray for people in the church, people that we know who are going through a difficult time or, or all sorts of reasons. We pray for people in the church, okay? We do this every other week. Let me encourage you. If, if, if you say, listen, I, I, I'm just not satisfied with my spiritual growth. I, 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 I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling tempted to give up. If you reach out to one of the elders and say, would you pray for us? We will pray for you. We will okay? And do it on the basis of this right here. It's not the power of our prayers. It's the power of, of what Christ is doing in you to call out for help, and then he's gifted people to pray over you for this reason. So this is the reason why we have membership. We have to lean on each other. That means being with each other. It means opening up to each other. Okay, I've got one other reason uh, why I believe this to be more uh, spiritual weakness of why we should be praying for each other in this, and that is the Elijah illustration. What, what, it seems to make the most sense when you look at what James says about Elijah, that he's talking about a spiritual weakness here rather than a physical weakness. What is the first thing that James tells us about Elijah? He says he was a man with a nature like ours. Okay, prone to discouragement, weak. If you know anything about the book of, or about the person of Elijah, you know that he was someone who had high highs and low lows. High highs and low lows. It seems to me that the fact that, that James says, you know that he was like you, that he's talking about who he is internally, not a physical situation. It seems that he's talking about more of a spiritual thing in nature. 
If physical healing was primarily in, Jesus, in James' mind, why didn't I use the illustration of Elijah praying for the widow's son to be healed? That would seem like a more uh, 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 appropriate uh, example from Elijah's life to use. But the no rain illustration was given because it was a prayer in the midst of spiritual conflict. Uh, First Kings says that Ahab, the king that was in the center of all this conflict, he was a very wicked king. It says this, he did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so it seems like this is a spiritual conflict that's in play here in the Elijah illustration. So it seems like that's why James makes the point he does. And he fervently prayed, and that's all he did. So I've got to walk through this because, you know, when you do a text like this, there's a lot of questions I just wanted to walk us through. But here's where we can't miss the forest for the trees. Prayer is the first instinct of a healthy church, whether it's blessing that you're going through, whether it's suffering you're going through, whether you're going through a time where you're just wanting to give up, as I believe this text to be saying, or whether it be if someone who disagrees with me says, no, this is a long-term physical sickness. If that's true, then no matter what, we need to be a church who's praying. That's our first instinct. And so that's my prayer. My prayer is that whether you agree with me in that nuanced interpretation or not, is that you would agree that as a church, we must be a church that prays.